This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. On your itinerary this week, Doug Kay visited Cuba before and after the recent changes to the travel restrictions from the U.S. He shares his experience and how the new rules might affect your next trip to Cuba. Are you a local expert? Well, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line on Twitter at your itinerary and let me know about your favorite spot. Maybe I'll even interview you for our next local expert series. Welcome to Your Itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and my guest today is Doug Kay. And Doug is a photographer, an educator. He's a master of the arcana, uh, being the host of the All About the Gear podcast here on the TWIP Network and a frequent guest host on This Week in Photo. Welcome, Doug, and thanks for being on the show, man. You're welcome, Rob. It's great to be here. I love this show. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, as I was saying before we went on the air, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what this show is about. So uh, it's nice to have some positive feedback. Well, that's the nice thing about podcasting. You get to make it up as you go along. True story. True story. <laughs> well, Doug sent me an email last week um, letting me know that he just got back from his third trip to Cuba. And uh, he wanted to know if I wanted to have him come on and talk about that. And I, I absolutely jumped at the chance and, and squeezed him in to try to get this on. Um, as soon as possible, because this is kind of a big deal for uh, American travelers, at, at least, which is, you know, that's I'm an American, Doug's an American. Um, there are some new travel regulations um, for American travelers and photographers that want to go to Cuba. So I want to talk to Doug about um, kind of how those changes have affected his travel to Cuba and and kind of what the big deal is about going to Cuba. If you are... Um, you know, if you're Canadian, if you're European, uh, going to Cuba is just another island to go to. So I want to find out kind of what the big deal is. So in case you're not familiar with it, if you're not from the United States or, or just don't pay any attention, uh, the United States has had a commercial, economic, and financial embargo against Cuba since 1960. Uh, and American travelers have been able to visit Cuba legally only for specific purposes and after jumping through considerable government hoops. So, Doug, you visited Cuba before and after the recent changes. What was travel to Cuba like before January 15th of this year? Well, as you mentioned, uh, there's been an embargo for 55 years, and that was originally done administratively through our executive branch, but I think it was President Reagan, in his term, that they signed it into law. And once it was put into law, that mean the, meant the executive branch had relatively little control over it. The embargo is managed by the U.S. Treasury Department, and what they do is they issue licenses in 12 different categories. The one that most people traveled under was called a people-to-people -people exchange. Had some very specific criteria uh, that you had to adhere to. Uh, you had to apply to the Treasury Department. Your license had to be approved in writing. Uh, and they were very picky. They went through those itineraries with a fine-tooth comb and found all sorts of issues with them. And there was back and forth, and it was pretty common to have a lawyer. So much so that people like me didn't have our own licenses. We would connect with somebody um, in the travel business who had a license from the Treasury Department to operate these things, and we would go on a people-to-people -people exchange. In fact, uh, you were not even allowed to have a workshop, per se. Uh, the license that I traveled under didn't allow me to do any teaching. Uh, it, it was not, not part of the license. So, um, there was a license. Uh, the, the flights, you can fly from Miami, but there are only charter flights. So you have to work with a, an American charter company who also can get you a Cuban visa. That's tricky because there's no Cuban embassy in the U.S. So how do you get a visa from Miami? Well, there's a very small number of travel operators that uh, up until now were able to do that. So 
bottom line is um, it was a somewhat complicated process that was reserved for people who were in that business. Um, but then there were some big operators, you know, Santa Fe Photo Workshops, which is a big uh, workshop company. They run a lot of workshops in there. That was my first trip. I went on one of their workshops. Uh, people like Smithsonian, National Geo, uh, they all have trips as well, but those aren't specifically for photographers. So anyway, that's how it was before. Fairly complex. Right. And and like you said, I, I know that people were going on workshops and teaching workshops and and visiting Cuba legally. So I, I knew there was there was something to um, there was ways to get around it, basically. And uh, I have friends that went to went to Mexico and took a boat to Cuba and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, I, won't, I won't name any names or anything, but um, <laughs> well, that, that was so, common too. You could, you know, you could go to Toronto and fly direct to Havana. You could go to Cozumel or Grand Cayman. Um, and the only trick was that you, when you got to Cuba, you didn't want them to stamp, stamp your American passport because if you came back through, you know, Cozumel or somewhere like that, and then you came back into Miami, they'd say, Oh, have you been to Cuba? And of course you better answer yes or you're in deep trouble. Right. Uh, and then if you did answer yes, I say, well, how, you know, how come? And so yeah. people did it all, people did it all the time and the Cuban authorities quite often would say, do you want me to stamp your passport or not? So that was the, that was the trick. Interesting. Okay. Well, how about now? Um, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about what the new regulations are? And then, um, as far as the real world difference in your travel, what, um, what difference does it make? Well, it turned out, you know, we scheduled this months in advance, and on December 17th, President Obama put this change into effect, and what he's done is really push the limit. He's gone as far as he possibly could to eliminate the embargo without eliminating the embargo. So I basically said, with for, for this issue at least, that you only need to conform with what's called the general license, which means you follow the same rules in theory, but there's no paperwork and there's no one to check your paperwork. So you go and you say, if anybody asks, I'm here to, on a people to people exchange and that's all there is to do. There's no, there's nobody to enforce it anymore. So it's become a little bit moot. Um, we happen to be the very first Americans to land in Cuba after the rules took effect. Um, just because we landed at 12.05 a.m. and we were the first ones there. So we actually traveled under the old system, um, but obviously we were very much aware of what the changes are. So the changes now are, as I say, that you still have to follow the rules in theory. There's no one to enforce that. Uh, you're now, it used to be you couldn't bring back any Cuban goods at all. Our licenses allowed us to bring back music CDs, photographs, books, and some works of art, um, limited. Uh, we couldn't even bring back picture frames. That was a big deal when I went with Santa Fe. The Treasury Department freaked out that we were, might bring back picture frames for our photos, and that bothered them greatly. Weird. But uh, now Americans can bring back uh, per person $400 worth of goods of which 100 can be tobacco and alcohol products combined. So that's a that's a big change, and I have cigars here to prove it. Nice. Uh, I, was, I read about that actually today, yeah. Cigars and rum to prove it. In fact, uh, because in my group there were a lot of people who weren't interested in cigars or rum, I loaded them up with extra goodies for me. <laughs> <laughs> there so you go. I'm, I'm well-stocked until the next trip. I hope I'm well-stocked. But um, so... The, right now, the challenge is that there are still only charter flights. So, for example, you could easily 
book a flight to Cancun or Cozumel, book a flight to Havana, fly in, follow the rules, uh, get your passport stamped because you're now legal if you just say that you're on a people-to-people exchange, and everything is fine. Um, now, there are other issues. We'll talk about infrastructure and in terms of you know what it's like to get a hotel room and everything. But in terms of the travel and the government, it's much easier. And I think that this spring, uh, you're going to see maybe in the March-April time frame, you're going to start to see scheduled airlines. So you'll be able to go online and book a flight with American or JetBlue and fly directly from Miami or some other East Coast cities direct into Havana. Yeah, that's what I was reading. I think um, the first ones I saw were from Houston and Newark, I believe, were flying, kind of fly direct. I believe it was United, but um, they said a huge difference was that, as you said, instead of filling out all the paperwork, you basically would just have to check the box on the website. While I'm flying to Cuba, are you doing a people-to-people, you know, exchange? You click yes, and then you're you're good to go. So that's right. that's a pretty big difference. So have, basically, you'll see the difference the next time you go. Yeah, have they announced that already? Have they actually said that they're going to do that? Because I just was speculating. Uh, I, I, I just saw it. Just was just reading an article about it um, a few minutes ago. Because. Um, uh, American has a pretty big presence in Havana because they do run a lot of the charter flights, uh, and JetBlue was there on the ramp, so they're obviously already in there. And that, that matters because you do want to have, you know, an airline that's got staff there and, you know, maybe maybe some maintenance people, um, although there probably aren't many. Right, absolutely. Well, you mentioned infrastructure. Let's talk about that. I mean, Cuba is a pretty small country. Um, what effect, if any, do you think the new regulations will have on the tourism? tourism industry there um for example are there enough hotel rooms are there enough tables in restaurants what what effect do you think that'll have on uh, tourism yeah good good questions of course the europeans the canadians the mexicans the south americans they've been traveling there all along so the question is how much of a difference will it make for americans to come in um i think uh, they're building ho- They're building more and more hotels. Most of the hotels are built by, for example, Spanish companies. They come in and they build big, you know, high-rise hotels, um, very high quality, and they are, you know, partially owned by the Cuban government. It's sort of roughly a 50-50 split. So I think there's going to be plenty of that. They will certainly build to meet the capacity. Uh, outside of Havana, of course, they have a system now where you can stay in casas particulares, which are private homes. Mm-hmm. And when we were in two cities outside of Havana, we did just that. And that's a marvelous experience. Uh, rest, restaurants getting better and better because uh, when I was there two years ago, they had just started to allow private restaurants with 20 tables or less, 20 seats or less. When I was there last year, they had bumped that to 50, which means you could have a pretty serious restaurant. And I don't know what the limit is now, but we ate very well in Cuba, much better than on my previous trips. And there are paladars, which are the restaurants everywhere. So um, I, I don't think there's going to be a problem. Now, sure. having said that, how do you book a hotel in Cuba right now? Because you cannot go online and go to the uh, Hotel Parque Central or the uh, Balia Cohiba um, because you can't use a credit card. There's no, you can't oh. use an American credit card right now in Cuba. That is going to change. MasterCard is going to start up, I think, in March. So this is a timely show because they'll be allowing that. Uh, once you've got credit card stuff, then maybe you can book your hotels online. Other than that, 
you sort of have to play an end game. You either have to go through a travel organization or go on one of my workshops <laughs> or, uh, you know, book it through Spain. You know, you can go because some of the companies are Spanish. You can somehow go through Spain, send your money to Spain. Um, if, if you're not used to doing this, it's a little tricky, but it can be done. Okay. Well, and what about the money there? They're they're not using U.S. dollars, I would assume. No, they have they have two currencies right now. One of which is they're going to eliminate. They have the regular Cuban pesos, which um, is around one uh, twenty fifth of a dollar. So one dollar gets you about twenty five pesos or twenty four pesos. Uh, then they have the 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 currency for tourists called the Cuban convertible peso or C-U-C, which we pronounce kook. Uh, and a kook is technically close to a dollar in value. Uh, and that's what any tourist will pay for. Now, that's the currency they're going to get rid of. Raul Castro says he wants to eliminate that. Could happen this year. And then everything will convert to the Cuban regular pesos. Um, but as a visitor right now, you'll only see kooks. Uh, the only problem you have to watch out that someone doesn't give you change in Cuban pesos because they're basically not giving you enough change. Um, one thing to know if you go to Cuba, though, for some reason, they've instituted a sort of a 10% surcharge on dollars. So you can actually take your dollars here in the States, convert them to euros or Canadian dollars, and take that cash into Cuba with you, and then once you're there, convert to kooks. You'll actually save money, and an American dollar, a U.S. dollar, ends up being close to a kook if you do it that way. If you take your dollars in and convert them there, a dollar is only going to be worth 90 cents convertible. Oh, that's a good tip. So would you just convert it at the airport before you leave? Uh, no, you can't do it. You have to change in Cuba. Oh, I mean, um, convert your, your dollars oh, to euros. I, I, I do it ahead of time because I get a slightly better rate. Uh, the euro right now is dropping so fast that uh, you should wait till the last minute if you're going soon because, you know, I paid a dollar twenty two for euros and it was a dollar nineteen a few days later. Uh, yeah. It's just getting cheaper and cheaper. It but sure is. Um, the other thing is, this is an interesting trick. It may be better now that the license restrictions have been eased, but when you go to change your money to euros, don't tell them you're going to Cuba. When I did that a year ago, I swear the alarms went off and they came down, rappelled down on ropes and almost locked me up. I had to provide a copy of my license, my passport, uh -huh. my birth certificate. Just tell them you're going to France Sure. and, and get your euros. So, you know, now maybe they don't care now, but I went to like a travel X office nearby and it was a major event. Good grief. Huh. Well, you know, we we're, we're talking about this, or I am at least, as if now that these travel restrictions have eased up, there's going to be, you know, thousands and thousands of American tourists flooding into Havana. Do you, do you think that's really the case? Or, I mean, obviously in the photography community, we see images of Cuba and, and it's one of those places that we can't go. So we really um, have been interested in that. But um, do you think there's just millions of Americans waiting to jump on a plane to Havana? I, I don't think so, uh, because there's not that much there for them. For photographers, it's marvelous. I mean, it's one of the ultimate destinations, certainly as a street photographer, which is what I primarily do. It's amazing. There's nowhere else as good that I can think of. Um, the other people who will go will be the rum and cigar aficionados, because, you know, some of the best of both are there. Um there are some resort areas on the northern shore east of Havana that are very popular already with Canadians. Baradero is a you know beautiful white sand beach with Club Med type resorts. It's really 
anachronistic. I mean, it really doesn't fit in with what you'd expect from Cuba. Hmm. But um, it will be somewhat limited by the flights. I think that's going to be the limiting factor, and therefore I don't think there's going to be a lot of traffic. The airports are very small, so they're not going to be able to have a lot of flights going in. And I, I, other than cultural curiosity, and I don't know how many Americans have that cultural curiosity, and, and there's still fear. People, you know, the unknown, um, well, you know, you're right. It's sort of the forbidden place to go sort of makes it attractive, doesn't it? Right, uh, right. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I think w one of the really interesting things on this trip that I wasn't prepared for, you know, in the past, you know, we we take a bus maybe from um, Havana to Trinidad, which is a you know three-hour drive or so, and we'd stop for coffee and bathrooms. And, you know, it would take five minutes and people get back on the bus. And so we planned our day based on that. This time, these five-minute stop took 30 minutes. That's because people were buying things. And it was like, ah, oh, I never occurred to me. Of course, Americans can now buy things and take them home. Only $400 worth, but $400 goes a long ways in Cuba. You can buy a lot of trinkets and T-shirts and caps and all that stuff. So. <laughs> right. So that was a change for us, and it sort of messed up our schedule. And uh, I have to take that into consideration for the next workshop because because um, everybody, you know, they were all photographers, but they all wanted to buy stuff and take it home. Yeah, I guess once you can, then then of course you're going to want to do that. That's right. I, I feel sorry for uh, some of the cigar shops. I know I've seen several places in Las Vegas, for example, that have this box and a special case and a special humidor of pre-embargo Cuban cigars for three hundred dollars each, and well, those are worth whatever Cuban cigars worth now, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. what's the big deal? You can just bring them home yourself. Well, and they're and they're bargains. I mean, here is a here is a Monte Cristo number 2. I just pulled out of my humidor. Mhm. Mm uh $9.65 in Cuba. Um I last time I looked at Cigar Aficionado which does things in pounds, I think it was about 20 pounds. So we're getting close to $35 or so. Sure. For that cigar that I paid less than ten for, um, yeah. the rum was great. I, 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 they have a fifteen-year-old rum, which is as smooth as the best cognac you've ever had. Wow, one hundred and fifty dollars in Cuba. Good and, grief! Uh, uh, I saw it in um, Grand Cayman. I came back through Grand Cayman. It was three hundred dollars a bottle in Grand Cayman, but at least now you can bring it back. So. Yeah. Wow. I did bring I did bring back one bottle and I haven't even opened it, but it's it's a it's an amazing rum. Hmm. Wow, that, that sounds like definitely something for a special occasion. Yeah. Okay, well let's or, get to the fun part. Or more than one. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or or at least with more than one person. Yeah. Um, so this was your third trip to Cuba. So obviously you enjoy it there. You said it's great for street photography. Um, tell me some more things that that keep you returning to Cuba. Well, people people ask me that before I they went. I had uh, in my group we only had one other person who had been there, so it was mostly Cuban novices. Um, I find Cuba to be an incredibly mo romantic place, and I don't really mean romantic in the sense of you might think of, you know, lovers, but uh, in the Hemingway sense, uh, these are incredibly passionate people. Uh, they're they're incredibly friendly. Um, they've been through hell. I mean, you know, the last 55 years, particularly with the with the breakdown of the Soviet Union, put them into just a horrible economic situation. And their spirit is amazing. 
So the people are the number one reason that I go. Uh, I love, I don't speak Spanish, uh, but I love interacting with the people who speak English and those who don't speak English, and we just have a great time. Now, in terms of the visual aspect, other than the people themselves who are visually interesting, uh, remember that this is a country that in 1959 or so decided to go in a different direction from the rest of the world. So you have Habana Vieja, which is Old Havana, which is basically has had almost no maintenance since for, 50, for 55 years. And so, and this was a place that was just gorgeous. It's not just a block or two. It's the, the whole part of the city, which was, you know, the old Meyer Lansky mafia uh, club stuff, you know, oodles of money in these beautiful mansions, which are just crumbling now. And a, a mansion that was one family is now occupied by many, many families. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if if you're into uh, urbex or if you're into, you know, decaying architecture, if you go to Havana, you'll just never want to shoot anywhere else. It's just spectacular. Wow. And is that by design or they just don't have the money to... They, don't, they just don't have the money. Yeah. Enough money. They, there are, we saw well, last year there were many buildings with signs saying that they were slated for renovation, but it didn't appear that much was going on. I was surprised this year to see more renovation going on than we had in the past. Um, They were replacing a big sewer in uh, Old Havana, um, which I imagine must have needed it. Uh, But um, there is a fair amount of work going on there, certainly compared to previous trips. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure American dollars will help that once people travel there more and and that kind of thing. Um, I know from visiting Dominican Republic, there you've got the big resorts, and then in between is just kind of um, ramshackle in a lot of places. Is Cuba kind of the same way? Yeah, I mean, you've got, as I said, there's the Varadero area, which is east of Havana on the northern coast, um, which literally is a resort area. Golf courses, the whole thing. Uh, then you have Havana itself, uh, old Havana is really a low-income, poor community, uh, except for certain streets like like Obispo, which is very touristy, has actually some high-end shops in the middle of this very poor area, sort of like New York. You know, it changes block by block dramatically. Sure. And then you have, um, uh, surrounding that, you have what you'd consider by Caribbean standards a very middle-class area. Uh, and in that area, there are a number of these high-rise hotels that uh, are really quite nice, quite elegant. Um, and uh, you know, some of them built within the last 10 years. So um, it, it, it varies tremendously, which is why I think it's important to get out of Old Havana and, and see the rest of the country. Now, if you're interested in going and you want to take a workshop, you'll find two types. There are some workshops and non-workshops as well, which go just to Havana. And in fact, they focus on Habana Vieja, which is old Havana again. Sure. And and that's and that's um, most of the photos you see, I guess, with the uh, the 1950s cars and, and that right. kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, although the cars are everywhere, the cars are throughout the country, but obviously there are more of them. There, there's a denser population of those old cars in the, the, the more the denser parts of the city. So there are workshops that will stay in Havana, but then there are also ones that will take you to one or two or three other towns in Cuba. And I went back and forth as to which one I wanted to leave because I had been to Cuba both ways. My first trip was Havana only. My second trip you know, was covering two other towns, and I went for the latter. 
Um, I think there's so much more to Cuba than just Havana. And if you if you want to just take pictures of old buildings and old cars, sure, stay in Havana. But if you really want to get to know the country and experience the variety of people and, and places, then you, you need to go to other cities as well. Mm-hmm. Great. And and, also, and- I should say that the music is more accessible in other towns because in Havana, Havana, you have two kinds of music. You have clubs that are really for tourists. I mean, one of the jokes is everybody says they have the uh, Buena Vista Social Club. And and my theory is that if there if they have one guy who ever sat in for one night with the Buena Vista Social Club, they call that show the Buena Vista Social Club. The other clubs are really more dance clubs for Cubans, and in Havana they're just absolutely packed. You really can't get in. But if you go to a town like Trinidad, you'll have superb music, and you can get into the clubs. So that's sort of nice. Nice. And the other towns were where you were saying that you stayed with. Uh... With in local houses now, are you staying with families when you do that, or do you just rent a house? Uh, no, they have um, what they call casas particulares, which are private homes that are licensed by the government, just like everything else is, mm-hmm. and they are allowed to rent out rooms in their homes. It's like a B and B, so you'll be served breakfast by your host. Um, they may have one room, they may have up to three, maybe four rooms. Uh, in our case, you know, we had 16 people. Some were singles, some were doubles. I think we ended up using 12 rooms in uh, in a half a dozen casas particulares in in the different cities we were in, and they're very inexpensive. I mean, you can stay there. I'm guessing it's maybe you know less than fifty dollars a night, including the breakfast. Nice. Um, and um, it helps support the local economy in the town of Vinales, for example. Um, it's a big thing. A lot of the, it's a, a was a farming community, and now a lot of the families are, are making an income through a rental. Nice, nice. And any chance I get when I'm traveling to stay in something like that, something like a B and B, and as you mentioned, something that puts money into the local economy directly, I would much rather do that than, as you said, give money to some Spanish company that has a big hotel there. Yeah, it, it's 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 better in every way. Um, you know, it's nice. You know, the 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 accommodations are minimal, uh, but they usually have air conditioning. If you're there during warm months, we were we were in January, so we didn't need any air conditioning. But um, they have that. Um, you know, bathrooms are clean and serviceable, but nothing fancy. But uh, it's nice to get back to a big hotel at the end of the trip too. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I like to do that when I'm planning workshops. If it's gonna, if part of the trip's ru- more rustic than another, I'll do the rustic part at the beginning. So the 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 nicer part feels that much nicer in comparison right. to yeah you know. well um you know you mentioned kind of wandering through a, a lower class uh, area where people don't have a lot of money how do you feel about dragging thousands of dollars worth of camera gear through there is is there any point that you feel like you really need to be careful or are you worried about being robbed or how does that work um you know, I've always been comfortable, but I'm not taking a lot of gear with me. I shoot, you know, small mirrorless cameras. I usually just have one camera and maybe one or two lenses at a time. One of the guys with uh, with us had, uh, you know, a huge vest filled with gear. I swear he was going to trip. And he was warned by some of the photographers that we work with there that, you know, maybe at night he should avoid certain streets. Um, you know, if you're if you're with a couple of people, you're probably fine. Uh, I never felt personally in danger there, but the Cubans are getting better about asking for money, 
to the point of being annoying at times, uh, like you're used to in other countries. Not as bad as most, but uh, it's definitely changing. Um, and there are stories of people who have cameras taken from them. So I, I think it's just good to be conservative in the evenings in particular. Sure. And anywhere you go, it's a good idea to be vigilant. But that's, again, one of the benefits of traveling with a group, whether it's a workshop or, or just a bunch of people, you're a lot less likely to be to be robbed, I think, in that situation. Yeah. I, again, I was never, I don't think anybody's I know has ever been worried about, you know, being robbed for their money, their wallet or anything like that. But the camera gear is a, a big lure. Remember, the, the Cubans... Um, in this neighborhood make maybe $40 a month in income. Wow. Now their, their health care, health care is provided their education, their housing, some of their food, but they have to live on almost no money. And, uh, you know, $2,000 worth of camera and lenses means an awful lot to them. No doubt. Wow. Well, um, what's next for you, Doug? When's, when are you going back to Cuba again? You mentioned workshops. What's the, uh, what's on the schedule? Well, we're looking at it now. One of the things we want to do is let these new rules settle down a little uh, to see how we're going to do it. You know, do we want to book charter? Do we want to go on scheduled airlines? Do we want to go in through Miami or do we want to go in through Cozumel? Um, how do we want to book the hotels? But I'm, I'm thinking probably uh, another workshop in November of 2015 and then one in January of 2016. And we're going to go with a smaller group. I had 16 people on this and it was too many. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, it worked out fine, but we're going to, we're going to cut that back down to about 10 people. Gotcha. How many instructors do you have for the 16? Uh, what we did is uh, in Cuba, uh, we hired three friends of mine who are excellent professional photographers who I met in Cuba. Uh, and so we split our group up into thirds. If you can divide 16 into three. And uh, uh, while we're in Havana, uh, we walked around in groups of just five or six people, uh, plus a plus a photographer to guide us, and that was great because these are local photographers. They can you know just walk up to a person and say, "Can we go into your home? Can we shoot in your home? Can we shoot your family? Um, you know, oh, can we go and look in your shop or your studio?" And you just go in and talk to them and uh, and get to know people that way. Uh, when we were outside of Havana. We tended to be in a larger group, but it was much easier. We were a little more like tourists than, uh, than, than otherwise. And also, in these other towns, we could just sort of go out. It was easier to go out on your own in some of these towns because they're small towns. That makes sense. Just let people wander around. So, um, yeah, we'll cut it back to, to 10, and we'll have, um, we always have uh, local, not just guides. We have photographers, really world-class photographers, so it's great. That sounds great. Well, Doug, thanks a lot for coming on and, and sharing your experience. I know a lot of uh, American photographers are interested in in what the new uh, rules will hold for them to travel to Cuba. And, and people around the world, um, they're probably just uh, blown away by how silly that seems when they can just jump on a plane and go to Cuba anyway. But um, where can people find out more about your Cuba trips and see your pictures and, and find you online? I think the best thing to do is just go to dougk.com, D-O-U-G-K-A-Y-E.com, uh, and uh, go to the blog from there. There's a link to my blog, and that's where I'll be updating more and more about the trips. Okay, great. Well, thanks again, Doug, and I will, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, Rob, thanks very much. 
And if you like what you hear on your itinerary, please tell all your friends about it. And don't forget to stop by iTunes and leave us a couple of stars and some good feedback. And uh, connect with us on Twitter, at Your Itinerary. And thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography. Photography.